Republicans and Democrats don't agree on much. Only a couple things come to mind. Number one, this show needs a host with a tie clip. Day three, I'm without a tie clip. I'm very stressed out about it. We'll solve that hopefully next week. Secondarily, they also agree that Russia isn't doing the right thing right now. In fact, according to a Quinnipiac poll, only 4% of Republicans believe that Russia should uh, be able to be uh, reclaiming Ukraine and make Ukraine no longer a sovereign territory. Only 5% of Democrats agree with that statement. The Vladimir Putin approval rating, uh, 6% among Republicans, 1% among Democrats, for all the news that's been made from uh, some of the fringes on the right who you know, seem to like Vladimir Putin, really tiny amount of people uh, going on there. And because of that, there's been a lot of action around this whole uh, debate, back and forth, back and forth, and companies have jumped in. We have a giant list of companies that have pulled out of Russia. Let me give you a few. A uh, huge list you can see on your screen, although there's a lot. I mean, first of all, Apple has pulled out because, you know, sure, they can make all of their products with Chinese slaves, but, you know, they don't want to be involved in this in Russia. BP has pulled out, which is going to make some great deals for Russian oligarchs buying giant chunks of energy operations. Coca-Cola is currently being boycotted on the Internet by on Twitter because they say they haven't pulled out, but they're on the list of companies that have pulled out. DHL, the shipping company, the H in DHL is for Larry Hill- Hillblum, who literally... <laughs> wound up buying a, a, a giant chunk of land on his own island and funded politicians to change the rules so he could have sex with minors. And the H in DHL wound up impregnating dozens of minors all around the world. So when he died, their fortune was split up uh, like a million different ways. But they're very upset now, just so you know what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, Disney, hey, sure, they can make uh, lots of movies inside of uh, Chinese uh, prison camps. Uh, but, you know, they're totally fine here. ExxonMobil, I guess they get some points here for pulling out of Russia so they're not killing the climate anymore and all the evil along, elongated with that. Uh, LinkedIn is pulling out of Russia. If all we have to do is invade a country to get LinkedIn to go away, I say we do it. What kind of, uh, Go after Bermuda right now. Let's get LinkedIn to pull out of our country. Nike. Oh, yes, they've got tons and tons of slaves out there making their shoes, but they don't want to be involved in this either. Uh, Volkswagen had quite the history back in the day with the Nazi uh, party, but hey, they don't want to be involved either. And TikTok has pulled out. And again, if all we have to do is invade a country to get TikTok to go away, I am fully advocating a full nuclear release on any random defenseless country out there. I want them all annihilated if we could just get me to a point where I'd never have to see another TikTok video. I don't know if that's possible. I appeal to you, Joe Biden. If you want my vote next time, nuke everybody and get rid of TikTok. Um, Russian vodka is also uh, on the rocks. You get it? (laughs) Yeah, it's on the rocks. Uh, in Europe. Uh, in fact, a lot of Russian vodkas are being banned, pulled off the shelves. You're seeing it all over the place here as well where people are taking their Russian vodka and they're pouring it down the drain in unison to to show their uh, their friendship, their unity with the Ukrainian people. And there's a lot of good motivation behind that, clearly. Uh, and in fact, let's let's just call them out by name. Stoli. I mean, Stoli, a Russian vodka. And look at their look at their ad here. Liberate your spirit. 
I mean, while Russia is invading and they're saying they want to liberate Ukraine, their advertisement has some hot lady saying liberate your spirit. Is that right? These bastards, a Russian vodka company at just playing with the people. They don't care about Ukraine, do they? There's a minor issue with this particular argument. And if you happen to be the type of person who's sitting over the sink right now, thinking about pouring your stoli down the drain, you may want to know a little bit more about the situation. For example, this Stoli Group, the makers of the popular Stoli vodka, are Russian themed. However, they are not made in Russia. According to their website, their products are manufactured in Latvia. And you might say Latvia, that's pretty much basically just Russia, right? I've heard that name before. I think maybe a gymnast had it or something at some point. They were from that country. I don't know. Latvia, I don't even know if that was their first name or the country they were from. Okay, understandable. However, let's just look at the NATO map, shall we? And if you see up towards the top there near Finland and Estonia, and in between that, in between that and Lithuania and Poland, you see a little country there called Latvia. Latvia is actually our NATO ally. People are pouring down vodka down the drain made in an allied country. These are the people who are going to be taken over by Vladimir Putin if we don't do anything about it. I don't know that pouring their vodka down the drain is the right idea. Stoli has addressed this on their website with a very big, very prominent, please don't pour us down the drain and take us out of your stores announcement, where they say Stoli Group has had a long history of fighting oppression from the Russian regime. Their billionaire owner has gotten all sorts of fights with Vladimir Putin. We unequivocally condemn the military action in Ukraine and stand in support of the Ukrainian people. The safety and security of our Ukrainian team is our top priority. We are monitoring the situation closely and we are moving swiftly and decisively to provide support where needed. Uh, Stoli Vodka Brands and its owner, Yuri Scheffler, were exiled from Russia nearly two decades ago. Uh, I have personally experienced persecution by the Russian authorities, and I share the pain of Ukraine and its people, noted Mr. Scheffler. So, look, Stoli is Latvian. It's not Russian. It was Russian a long, long time ago, but it's no longer Russian. And uh, their owner was actually accused of murder by Vladimir Putin and the Russian government. So... Really, they're not, they're not the problem here. How about Smirnoff, though? Smirnoff, those bastards. A Smirnoff, that's an obvious Russian vodka, right? Uh, not, no, not, not really. In fact, they have a message on their website, very prominently focused as well. Smirnoff vodka, proudly made in America. While Smirnoff had its beginnings in Russia, Vladimir Smirnoff fled the country during the revolution and reestablished the brand in Europe more than a century ago. We've been in America since 1934 and are fully owned by a British company. Enjoyed by millions in America, Smirnoff is proudly made in the USA, right in Plainfield, Illinois, and is also made around the world in Canada, Great Britain, Italy, Australia, Jamaica, Brazil, Argentina, India, Indonesia, and Kenya. So there you go. If you want to really go after the Russians, the right move is probably not uh, dumping down the drain and pulling out of stores a product made in Plainfield, Illinois. The truth is that while Stoli is a Russian-style vodka, it is made in Latvia, our NATO ally. Boycotting a NATO ally in the middle of a conflict is probably not the right decision right now. 
That's, uh, in fact, you know, I decided to put my speech into action today. Got some stoli today to support our Latvian brethren, because that's me. I support our friends. Smirnoff, which I also bought, is owned by a British company that's made right here in America. And I can prove it because no commies are going to make red, white, and blue flavored vodka. I mean, even though the Russian flag is also red, white, and blue, but forget about that for, for, for just a second. Boycotting a product made in America and owned by Great Britain probably doesn't prove your point either. This is red, white, and berry, actually. Cherry, citrus, and sweet blue raspberry vodka. I don't even know. I don't know what to make of that, but I'm going to give it a whirl. I'm going to give it a whirl. I will note that Stoli also makes ginger beer, but the liquor store I went to, they had Hank's. Oh, yeah, they had Hank's ginger beer on the shelves, and there's no doubt that I was going to buy that because Hank's is awesome and most definitely an American company made in America. Go Hank's, the official soda of Stu Does America, right here, Hank's. Um, so... I mean, we can do a little prep here just to honor our allies, okay? A little Stoli or Smirnoff, maybe a little red, white, and berry. Got some ice here. Okay, I missed one. I'm not going to miss a couple. Okay, got that. A little red, white, and berry. No, don't throw it back at me. I heard you say that. A little red, white, and berry Smirnoff vodka. Mixed with a little bit of Hank's ginger beer. Oh, listen to that. Oh, man. Doesn't that sound delicious? Oh, God. The ginger beer smell is just absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Hank's. Thank you, Smirnoff. Thank you, Stoli, for supporting this program today. Mix them together. What do you got? You got the makings of a Moscow mule, which is something you also don't have to boycott. The name Moscow might be in the title, but this delicious concoction right here has never bombed anybody in the Ukraine. It's hammered a few people, that I will say, but that's a totally different story. Also, for those mixologists out there in the audience, I should note that there should be some fresh lime to make this drink correctly, but I'm allergic to fresh fruit and vegetables and other foods that are not pizza-based. I'm fine with pizza slices, pizza rolls, pizza combos, pizza Pringles, pizza pizza, leaning tower of pizza. Give me all the pizza. I'm fine with that, but no, no fruits, no vegetables, please. Anyway, fear not. American patriots, you too can have your Stoli and your Smirnoff and you can have your Moscow mules. And that's great because with the way things are going, you're going to need a lot of them. What is it about our society and particularly our media? Whenever there's a new event in a new place, we have to come up with 900 different pronunciations and spellings of all of their names. Why is this? Why does this keep happening over and over and over again? It was Osama bin Laden. It was Osama bin Laden. It was Al-Qaeda with Q-A-I-D-A and Q-U-I-D-A and Q-A-E-D-A. And it just seems to change indiscriminately from day to day to day to day. I don't even under, uh, I don't understand. Gaddafi, and it was Gaddafi, and it was uh, Qatar and Qatar and Gutter. Uh, we had the Kiev Kiev thing, which is one. This is a sort of a behind the scenes point here, but I'll tell you how my brain works and and why the hard work I do to bring this show to you every day. I saw this is going back a while now. 
going through old Joe Biden speeches when he was in the corruption situation with Ukraine. And at one point he said, Kiev. And I was like, what an idiot. This guy's just saying Kiev. He doesn't even know it's Kiev. Another terrible mispronunciation or slur or gaffe or whatever it was from Joe Biden. Uh, and so I was about to go make fun of him. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I should look this one up first just to make sure I'm not screwing it up. Turns out that a re- the reason, of course, they, they call it Kiev, which some people now know, but nobody knew at the time, it seemed, uh, is that that's the Ukrainian pronunciation of it. That's the Ukrainian uh, way to, uh, to, to do Kiev, where Kiev is sort of, uh, if you say essentially, well, Kiev is, Ukraine is basically Russia, you'd call it Kiev where Kyiv is sort of the Ukrainian way. And that's, you know, look, I think they're on the right side of this thing, so I'm going to go ahead and use Kyiv. You can use whatever you want, but can we at least come up with some sort of standard of the way to spell Zelensky? I mean, I, I don't think that's asking too much. My, our own Pat Gray mentioned, it to me, me, uh, mentioned this to me at first, and now I can't stop seeing it everywhere. Uh, there's actually an article on CNN about how to spell a word that CNN has to spell on the air every single day. CNN uses the single Y spelling for Zelensky, Z-E-L-E-N-S-K-Y, while Fox and MSNBC go with the double Y for Zelensky, Z-E-L-E-N-S-K-Y-Y. The New York Times and the Washington Post are both single Y organizations. The Associated Press is a double Y outlet. Reuters goes in a completely different direction, spelling his last name Z-E-L-E-N-S-K-I-Y. So what is the actual truth? Like, why is there this disagreement? Now, I know there's, you know, languages can be a little difficult at times. You have translations and such. I get it. But I mean, this should be easy, right? Like, can't we just ask the guy? He's like, everyone's seemingly talking on the phone with him all the time. Can somebody ask him how to spell his freaking name? Well, apparently this has happened. Zelensky himself has spelled it Z-E-L-E-N-S-K-Y-Y on his passport. There you go. In May 2019, his administration said he preferred that spelling when his name was transliterated from the Cyrillic to the Latin alphabet. So there you go. Z-E-L-E-N-S-K-Y-Y. And I feel like, you know, if we are going to just go to Leah Thomas and say, hey, what gender are you? She's going to say, uh, girl. And we're like, oh, I guess it's a girl. Then in in this situation, we're just going to go to Zelensky and say, what do you want your freaking name to show up as the screen? I mean, what do you want? What spelling? I want the two Y's. I guess you get the two Y's. I don't think I'm going to be given the man, girl, the man, uh, female thing. I don't want to do that. But I will give you your own spelling of your name. So congratulations, Z-E-L-E-N-S-K-Y-Y. Uh, I, look at this. This is in Google. If you type in Z-E-L-E-N-S-K-Y-Y, it tries to autocorrect you to Z-E-L-E-N-S-K-I-Y. And now, now I, this brings up all sorts of questions. Because if we don't know the actual spelling of Zelensky's name, Is it possible, and I throw this out there as a theory only, this is a bit of speculation, but is it possible that he is related to the auto parts king from Tommy Boy? The name's Zelensky. I make car parts for the American working man because that's what I am, and that's who I care about. I mean, it's the same name. Now, I know it's uh, spelled differently, but that doesn't freaking seem to matter. And I will say... Zelensky, a comedian in Ukraine, became president. Dan Aykroyd, also a comedian. I think there could be a very good chance these guys are related. And we broke the news here on Stu Does America. I'm a little, I'm a little perturbed about the whole Zelensky thing and the way it's being treated 
in the media. I feel like we're getting we're getting wild uh, extremes on this and basically only wild extremes on who is Zelensky and how should we be thinking about this guy? We know he's in a situation where his country's being invaded. We're seeing the pictures of the dead bodies and the explosions and the terrible destruction. And of course, we we empathize with that in a real way. Um, but who is this guy? We're seeing both sides of this. Uh, Madison Cawthorn, he's a con- congressman. He, he called Zelensky a thug and a Ukrainian government evil in a video, and he's getting all sorts of heat about that. And, you know, look, I, there's, there's a little bit of this that happens to me. I definitely have a tendency to want to avoid the thing that everyone loves and is doing, especially online. You know, like, everyone's like, oh, Zelensky's the greatest guy in the world. And it's like, I, I can feel there's a little internal pull. I push that away a little bit. I am uh, not the guy who follows everyone onto the bandwagon. And, you know, sometimes to my own detriment, I will say, I didn't even start Breaking Bad until like season four because everyone's like, oh, you should watch Breaking Bad. Shut up. You should watch Breaking Bad. Shut up. All right, I'll watch it. Oh, this is great. There's that contrarian part of me that kind of sees Zelensky. I I see him sort of how I see Wordle, you know, the thing that's, uh, I, I don't know if Wordle is a fun game. It may be the greatest game of all time, but I'm never going to know that because everyone tweeting all of their little Wordle graphics every day is too annoying. It's too annoying for me to overcome and actually give it a chance. That's a problem with me. I understand it. And there's a bit of that going on with Zelensky. I mean, yeah, he's doing an admirable job in an impossible situation, and that's notable. But we also shouldn't go too far the other way either. The guy is just a guy like you and like me. And yes, he's, I think, handling this uh, situation with, uh, with some bravery. And he's in a very difficult situation trying to manage an invading army. But like, I mean, do we need this? Zelensky and Biden, defenders of democracy. Come on. This is what they try to do. If Zelensky's doing a great job and, and, he, and he's, he's a hero, what if we tie him to Biden? Will that work? Or how about this? This tea is as strong as Zelensky. A Somme company names its black blend to honor Ukraine's president. Oh, gosh. I mean, I just he might be the greatest guy in the world, but I just can't take this. How about the improbable rise in endless heroism of Volodymyr Zelensky? By the way, we're going to do another show on how to spell his first name because they can't figure that out either. I mean, look, listen, this listen to this gushing. This is from GQ. Uh. Uh, as I write this, Vladimir Zelensky, the most improbable national leader in the world, just might be the world's most popular. By now, everyone knows his life story, surreal outline, uh, a comedian who rose to fame with the portrayal of a president, becomes the real president, then transcends it. But I didn't know this. The erstwhile Ukrainian voice of Paddington Bear. The guy's the voice of Paddington Bear. The guy who's leading the, the ultimate hero of the universe is the voice of Paddington Bear. I don't know why that hits me so weird, uh, but it does. Um, and it also says he's the star of a dozen crappy, they use a different word, a dozen crappy comedies and one decent one. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, what's this guy? I don't know. I just found that to be funny. Uh, it's a, it's a really an, ama- an amazing thing to watch happen. And I think there is a natural instinct, as I kind of described in myself, is when you see someone put up there as this perfect human being, a god among men, to, to recoil from that a little bit. And I think that's probably healthy. On the other side, 
there's an instinct to, to go too far and, and try to turn this guy into some major criminal or some terrible thing when we don't really have that. Uh, that's not really there is a long history of corruption in, U- in Ukraine. And, and honestly, like Zelensky was elected to try to put an end to that. That's not to say that he's he's perfect and he's done the right thing in every situation. But it is a, an, an important note when you talk about the corruption in Ukraine. Look, the truth is that Zelensky is not God. He's not Satan either. The only thing you can say for certain right now is that for about three weeks, he's doing a really good job with the public facing part of this war. Is he some military tactician? I don't know. Is this is his regime going to last two more weeks from today? I don't know. I will say that the public facing part of a war is a big chunk of your job as president, rallying people behind your cause, securing help from friends and allies, trying to inspire your people to fight off an invasion. And it makes you kind of worry about having Joe Biden as a president because, you know, he can't do any of that stuff. He is completely inept when it comes to trying to inspire a people. He can't even get through a sentence. But there is too much, a little bit, I think, of everything right now going on with, with Zelensky. He's not a you know, serial-killing pedophile and puppy abuser, as far as I know. He's also not the one exalted hero that will come and levitate us all to heaven, as far as I know. Coming off of Afghanistan, where like the leader of the country was on a plane out of the nation because it got a bit too windy on like Thursday morning, Zelensky does look like a hero. People do look to their leaders in times like these. But it's important to remember why they look to their leaders in times like these. Desperation. More and more, I'm noticing people in Western countries who are currently free of the sort of strife going on in in Ukraine having these same instincts. Missiles aren't hitting our country yet. And we're still on this constant hunt for some sort of supreme being that in a suit that's going to come in and save us from the messy outflows of the freedoms we enjoy. Whether it's, you know, this hero worship of uh, Bernie or AOC or uh, the notorious RBG on the left or of Donald Trump or DeSantis or whoever is next on the right. I mean, it's great to want the best person for the job, but we're never going to solve the issues we face by putting all of our faith in man. It just doesn't work. Plus, how can we solve all the important problems in the world if we can't even figure out how to spell Zelensky? I'm happy to welcome Jason Kilmeyer back to the program. He's a counterterrorism expert and a foreign policy expert as well. Jason, thanks for coming back on the program. Stu, thanks for having me back. Yeah, you got a big announcement. I want to get to here in a second. But let's start talking about Russia and Ukraine. What is the state of affairs right now? What should we be looking for? First thing is, right, there was a lot of hoopla around the talks. Hey, let's see, there might be, you know, a pause temporarily. Um, and, And those obviously came to naught. And what we see right now is a convoy right not far from Kiev and likely a a potentially very grim next 24 hours for the Ukrainian capital. Mm. I mean, I think if I wasn't following this super closely, what I would think from the media coverage is so far things have been better for Ukraine than previously expected, a a fierce response to this invasion, people picking up arms, doing everything they can to protect their homeland. Is that true or is Putin really just not turned up the heat yet? You know, I do think some of that bears out. Um, But to your point, there is still probably at least a third as of this morning 
of the Russian ground troops not even yet deployed into the country. And that may uh, that may have changed uh, over the course of the day. And what I think we're seeing, too, is almost a little bit of this emotional roller coaster as people were surprised by the mobilization of Western Europe, unity around sanctions and some of those pieces. So I think that has created an outlook that I'm afraid we're going to feel very different about in 48 or 72 hours as the reality, right, that sanctions don't stop tanks kind of sets in for all of us here. Mm, yeah, the, <laughs> sanctions don't stop tanks. That is the unfortunate reality. Um, as far as the sanctions go, are we doing enough? Are we doing too much? Should we continue down this road? How do you how do you how do you look at that? From my perspective, I think the risk calculus is in not going far enough. And I entirely understand, by the way, that um, the Western leaders are dealing with in an already sensitive economic situation. How much pain are we willing to inflict on our own populations? Because the reality is biting sanctions in a global economy are going to hurt everybody. Mm. Right. Uh, punish Russia the most, but there will be those after effects. And so I think if we're going to implement those things, I don't see what we're waiting for. Russian forces have encircled the capital. They're going to try to decapitate the head of state. Bring it all out now. I don't think that we'll look back and say, hey, you know, we needed to wait that extra week or two to ratchet things up. I think that that's an incorrect risk calculus. How, how much of this, Jason, do you think is, you know, maybe we want to go forward with more sanctions and, and go further, farther and farther. But some, you know, some other NATO members are hesitant to do that. And we're trying to walk this impossible line. Yeah, I think that, Stu, an important thing to think about there is not only what else will Europe agree to, but how, for how long, right? So we see all these announcements, uh, this soccer match is canceled here, or this other event is canceled here. But ne neither of us would be surprised if in a couple of months we start to see those events quietly get put back on the schedule mm. and, and the aerospace rights quietly sort of be restored. And so I think it remains to be seen how firm Western Europe's commitment will be after the immediate shock of this invasion has taken place. And, and, and I want to make a point here, which is Vladimir Putin went in, to Georgia. He went into Ukraine already. He's got a strategic foothold in uh, Syria at a port where they've had a lease for 40 plus years, but, but more presence there in the past decade. Um, now back into Ukraine, intervention in Kazakhstan, that was two or three months ago. This is somebody who is deliberately working their way uh, west deliberately expanding their footprint. And that's how we need to think about it. Vlad marches west. Mm. So what is his end game? We're, that's kind of the, the theme of the show today. Where does this all lead? What is he trying to do here? Where does he going to stop? Is he going to stop? Does he stop before the NATO line? Does he go past that? Where do you see this going? Yeah, good question. I am a believer in taking these leaders at their word. So when he says that the greatest geopolitical mistake or, or tragedy of the past hundred years of the last century was the fall of the Soviet Union, that tells me he wants to reestablish that degree of control. And it looks like up until a week or so ago, that was in installing smaller scale client regimes, right? And, and declaring quote unquote autonomy and then sending even heavier quotes, peacekeepers 
to these places. Mm. Um, I think that's going to be the continued model. Um, it is taking chunks of sovereignty from these countries. And there are several other examples of countries that may be vulnerable to this, right, where they have Russian speaking populations. And I think Putin will continue to move west. He might slow. But if we look at it in a historical pace, uh, it's not that slow. Is this sort of like a hole in the model of NATO where he can just say, in theory, hey, you know, Lithuania really wants us. There's a lot of Russian speakers there. We're, we're going to recognize the independence of that region. And it's not an attack in theory on paper from Russia, but it, it serves as one. Yeah, it, it is a hole. And, and the reason is because the rhetoric that Putin uses to justify the movements, we don't believe our Western European partners don't believe, and it's not even clear that Putin believes it. What, what lies underneath that is the reality that hard power is how these things have been decided. And again, in Georgia and Ukraine, now back to Ukraine, um, their control over the Black Sea. Um, what we're really seeing is a NATO unwilling to use certain uh, tools in the toolkit and a Putin who is willing, and that's why he gets the last word. Well, I always like talking to you, Jason, because you know this stuff frontward and backward all over the world. You've been talking about this uh, on this show for a while. Uh, and you're looking to take this experience in a totally new direction. Can you talk about your big announcement this week? Yeah. And Stu, thank you for having me on. Uh, I, I enjoy these conversations every time. I uh, today put out a press release. I'm running for um, Congress and I want to represent Western Pennsylvania in Washington. And I want to make a very serious point here because we're watching this happen around the world and we're seeing energy prices begin to spike. That is so frustrating for somebody who lives in Western Pennsylvania. We have the Marcellus Shale, abundant natural gas mm. that we could be supplying to America. Where I am in Western Pennsylvania, we should be amongst the world leaders in energy production. And we're seeing U.S. policy um, at the Biden administration and at the state level prevent that reality from occurring. Just last week, Putin, uh, I'm sorry, Biden again, had to ask OPEC to increase production. We could be making it here. We should be making it here. So I decided it was, uh, it was time for me to stop just kind of yelling at the news <laughs> and, and put my hat in the ring. So uh, we're going to make a good go of it here, and I'm really looking forward to the race. Yeah, I believe the way you phrased it in your, in a tw in your tweet was, it's time to stop yelling at the news. And I, that's my job. I, I want to make sure you're not getting rid of all jobs where people yell at the news, because that's what I do for a living. We can't lose that yeah, job. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and quite frankly, right, I'm learning. We talked about this a little bit off air last time. I'm learning right, some of the ins and outs of broadcasting and just the trying to present this information like you are um, as it rolls in in such a, um, you know, ad hoc and sort of constant fashion is, is something that's important. I'm going to continue to practice that as I address uh, the voters here in Western Pennsylvania. And they are certainly not shy about letting me know, right, uh, uh, the things that they find are important. So I'm learning uh, uh, as I go here. Well, you, you brought up a really good point, which is I, I'm, it's, it's sort of a weird response. We're, we're sitting here saying we're going to have a lot of pain at the pump. We're going to have a lot of pain with, with, with uh, natural gas and oil and all these things uh, that the, the, the global market could be disturbed. And our response is not, well, let's buck up and do it ourselves. It's to like beg other people for help and, and make a bunch of solar panels or something. I mean, it doesn't seem like a serious response, Jason. It's not. In February 20th, there was a court ruling 
the I think it was the Supreme Court said the social cost of carbon um, that the Biden administration would like to assess. And, and, I, and quite frankly, I think that's a specious, specious concept overall. Mm. But they rejected their formulary. Um, the Biden administration then canceled all new um, oil and gas leases on federal lands um, or, or I'm sorry, paused them. Uh, and then two days later, Biden had to appeal to OPEC to increase uh, the pump. Unreal. And so I'm a believer, Stu, right? I don't want to trash the planet. We've got to be good stewards here. But the policies of the Democrats at this point are explicitly against the working class. And I'm, I'm seeing that and I'm hearing it. Tomorrow I will be doing a video um, in front of a Dollar Tree to, to make the point to people that these dollar stores that Americans rely on were able to keep their prices, their goods, their foodstuffs at a dollar for 35 years. They could not survive the nine months of the Biden economy. Mm, it's amazing. Um, we got about one minute left here, Jason. Tell me about the district. Who are you running against? It's, it's in Democratic control right now, right? Yeah. So right now, Representative Lamb uh, uh, has held it for, for three cycles and he is um, going for the Senate. So it's going to be an open primary, no incumbent. Uh, a lot of good people have entered their names. I think that I'm really competitive because I have the national security creds and because I've put some skin in the game. Um, and the other point I want to make, right, as it relates to, to this is we're going to have to take some hard votes. If you think about what Senator Cruz did in opposing, alone on an island, opposing the Nord Stream 2 pipeline by putting those holds on nominations, he was vindicated, but that was a lonely place to be. Now, a House member does not place holds. That's the role of the Senate. But that's an example of the extremely tough votes that the next few years are going to require of our legislators. As I think you and I said in a previous broadcast, there's no easy choices left and, and some big chess pieces, I think, are going to start to move soon. Well, I, I think, Jason, it would be great to have a voice like yours in Congress. And, uh, you know, it looks like it's, by my view, it looks like a pretty purple district. It's a winnable one for Republicans. You, you know, you, you could win this and we could have some uh, some intelligence inside uh, of, of Congress. It would be a great change. Jason Kilmeyer, counterterrorism expert, foreign policy expert, as well as a U.S. House candidate. Where can people uh, help out your campaign if they want to get involved? Absolutely, Stu. And these are and you're exactly right. PA 17. These are practical people. Kilmeyer for Congress dot com. And uh, looking forward to talking to uh, everybody around here. All right. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, dude. But what is Biden up to today? Well, he's on top of it, everybody. Tweeting this. Breaking. President Biden. Today, I'm announcing the launch of COVID.gov, a one-stop shop where anyone in America can find what they need to navigate the virus, which is perfect timing, considering we are at an all time low since the beginning of the pandemic in ICU cases. The ultimate bottom is the time he launches COVID.gov. This is going really well, everybody. Uh, in fact, nothing is actually going well when it comes to Joe Biden. He is in the middle of a gaftastic period uh, that's only lasted you know, 50 years or so, but it's getting worse. It's getting much, much worse. And it's starting to threaten your life. That's why we're doing Biden's deadly gaffes today. Let me rewind a little bit and go through this little arc of the storyline that we are all unfortunately members of. Here is Joe Biden talking uh, in his big speech in Poland from this weekend. Ukraine 
will never be a victory for Russia, for free people refuse to live in a world of hopelessness and darkness. We will have a different future, a brighter future, rooted in democracy and principles, hope and light, of decency and dignity, of freedom and possibilities. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. Mm, you're not supposed to say that. That's that was bad. Now, the initial reaction, it's important to note from even, you know, re- mainstream reporters was this was wonderful. Initially, uh, Mark Noller tops Reagan's 1987 tear down this wall speech. Did it? Did it really? But that turned around relatively quickly when people realized, hey, he just basically called for regime change in Russia, which is adding an entire dynamic to this uh, war that's going on between Russia and Ukraine. It's inserting us into the middle of it, and it's empowering Putin at home. This is a bad idea. Here is uh, Michael Morell, the former acting director of the CIA, talking about Biden's comment uh, about Putin over the weekend. Uh, And uh, this is on CBS's Face the Nation. Mike, I want to ask you about President Biden's speech uh, in which he said that Vladimir Putin cannot remain in power. He also framed this conflict as totalitarianism versus freedom. What did you make of those two remarks? So I think um, his comment that Putin um, had to go was an unforced error. Um, It makes it it strengthens Putin at home, makes it difficult for any domestic opposition to coalesce together. And no Russian citizen, none, um, wants to be told by the leader of Russia's main enemy about what their leadership can look like and not. Not to mention we're allied with a bunch of people who are authoritarian. So I don't know that they want to hear that either. And we've lost several allies over the past few months. Even if we don't love their governments, it would be nice, nice to have fewer enemies for once. Uh, of course, the White House went sprang into action, which is what they do all the time. Their job at the White House is to walk back comments Joe Biden makes because he's continually making mistakes. Uh, White House walks back Biden comment that Putin cannot remain in power. And then Biden came out to take some questions from the press. And he had, uh, he, well, I mean, he occasionally did things like this. Well, what was the second part? Complicate the diplomacy of this moment. No, I don't think it does. No, no uh, the uh, uh, the fact is that we're in a situation where uh, um, it complicates the situation at the moment is the hmm. uh, the escalatory efforts of Putin to uh, continue to engage in carnage, the kind of behavior that uh, that makes the whole world say, what? "My God, what is this man doing?" Hmm? That's what complicates things a great deal, and, uh, um, but I, I don't think it complicates it at all. So it complicates it a great deal, but it doesn't complicate it at all. And I don't know if you noticed this. I'm pretty sure he burped in the middle of that answer. Just throwing it out there. And I look, as a person who drinks a lot of soda, I have no problem with that. But I just wanted to make you aware that he was burping on the main stage. He was also talking to troops. Uh, and it, so it wasn't just nonsensical rambling like you just heard. He also talked to, to the troops and seemingly revealed some detail about how we apparently were already on the ground in Ukraine. I was talking to the troops. We we're talking about helping train the troops mm. in that are the, the Ukrainian troops that are in Poland. That's for the context. I sat there with those guys for a couple hours. That's what we talked about. So when you said you're going to see when you're there, you were not intending to I was see referring to with, meeting with and talking with the uh, Ukrainian troops that were in Poland. Hmm. No, that's not because in in the comments initially, he said, while you're there, you're going to see children uh, and women standing up to tanks 
Is that happening in Poland? Because that's a bigger news story than any of his gaffes, unfortunately. Uh, you know, it's just uh, some cognitive thing. He can't seem to talk himself out of these situations, and he continually talks himself, in, in, himself into them. Uh, he was asked about a bunch of these comments and asked about whether he could clarify, whether he could try to explain what on earth he was doing. Here's how he handled that. Do you believe what you said, that Putin can't remain in power? Or do you now regret saying that because your government has been trying to walk that back? Did your words complicate matters? Well, yes, three different questions. I'll answer them all. Number one, I'm not walking anything back. You should. The fact of the matter is I was expressing the more outrage I felt toward the way Putin is dealing with the actions of this man. Just, Just brutality of half the children in Ukraine. I just come from being with those families. And uh, and so, uh, but I want to make it clear, I wasn't then, nor am I now, articulating a policy change. I was expressing the moral outrage that I feel, and I make no apologies for it. Personal feelings? My, my personal feelings. Your personal feelings, really important when you're supposed to be uh, running a country. Um, he was asked as well uh, about some of the other comments that he's made and gaffed around over the past few days. Here's his response to that. Are you worried that other leaders in the world are going to start to doubt that America is back if some of these big things that you say on the world stage keep getting walked back? What's getting walked back? It made it sound like, just in the last couple days, uh, it sounded like you told U.S. troops they were going to Ukraine. It sounded like you said it was possible the U.S. would use a chemical weapon, and it sounded like you were calling for regime change in Russia, and we know... None of the three occurred. So when you said you're going to see when you're there, you were not intending to... I was referring to with meeting with and talking with the uh, Ukrainian troops who were in Poland. No, you said a chemical weapon use by Russia would trigger a response in kind. It will trigger a significant response. What does that mean? I'm not going to tell you. Why would I tell you? You don't have to tell You've got to be silly. Uh, The world wants to know? The world wants to know a lot of things. I'm not telling them what the response would be. Then, then Russia knows the response. All right. I, look, in kind means you do the same thing. <laughs> Basically, like they do a chemical weapon, we would do one. Now, no one believes, of course, that we are going to launch chemical weapons. However, when you have a dictator in Russia who is telling his people we're about to launch biological weapons against him, maybe you don't say if they did a, a, nucle- a chemical weapon, we would respond in kind. All of this as he was actually reading these terrible answers from a note card. A picture of it has circulated. It's hard to read. I will tell you what it says. It says, it legitimately says, tough Putin Q&A talking points. That's the title. <laughs> these are tough. If you aren't advocating for regime change, what did you mean? Can you clarify? I was expressing the moral outrage I felt toward the actions of this man. I was not articulating a change in policy. This is just pathetic. Look, the truth is that Joe Biden just might oopsie doopsie us into World War III, and I'm not loving it. We were supposed to get an adult, and instead we're getting adult diapers. He was supposed to give us this incredible expertise in foreign affairs, but this has been a nonstop catastrophe since the minute he walked into office. Afghanistan abandoned. Our citizens left behind. Women can't go to school uh, or leave their house without a male chaperone. North Korea is launching ICBMs again for the first time in five years. And now Russia, which we should remember, 
hadn't yet invaded when Biden told them that maybe a minor incursion wouldn't be that big of a deal. He then told us that Ukraine was going to get destroyed. And then over the last uh, week has nearly gaffed us into a global conflict several times. A statesman is not supposed to do this. They're not supposed to make these kinds of mistakes or admit things that are off record or escalate a conflict or especially not supposed to blurt out your moral outrage, your entire job when you're managing a tense situation with a foreign adversary is to set aside your moral outrage or at least act like you've set it aside and pragmatically deal with the situation. When you blurt things out, You put lives at risk. All of this is to bring me to a point where I may have to reverse myself on something. I have said over and over again that Joe Biden is a terrible president, but at least he's not Kamala Harris. But honestly, could Kamala really be worse? Veepthoughts.com exists to highlight her idiocy. But most of that is just her talking and talking and talking and talking without saying anything. Wouldn't that be better than what Biden is doing? This guy is going to gaff us into a nuclear apocalypse, and she is a vapid zilch in heels. They're both terrible, and both will do almost immeasurable damage to our country. But at this point, I think I'd rather have the vapid zilch in heels. 